wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Have you considered how to have a powerful birth journey? I met today's guest at one of my doula workshops. I love meeting doulas, some who have had children already like Teresa and some who have not. People who want to support a friend or a family member and those who are ready to change careers to ensure that all birthing people have safe, respectful, joyful births. If you're ready to make a difference in your life and someone else's, see the link in the show notes to find a doula workshop or retreat that works for you. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, Director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. I know you're really going to enjoy hearing Teresa's birthing stories and how she's birthing forward her wisdom to support others. Teresa Lasbury-Peters is a birth and postpartum doula, a lactation specialist, and founder of Nina Birth. And I'm going to have to ask you, Teresa, did I say that correct? Nena, Nena. Nena. Okay, sorry. (laughs) There are various ways to butcher it. You know, I'm sort of butchering it myself, <laughs> but it's like, you're supposed to, it's my mother's um, native tongue. So it's like, oh. it's, you, you said you, you, it'd be like Nena birth, but I call it, I'm, I ang- anglicize it a little with the Nena birth. So Nena birth. And does it have a particular meaning? Yeah. So Nena means your mother. Nena means your father. So I put Nena together to, to, mother, father, and then also somewhere in between there, because um, I don't quite have my logo yet, uh, somewhere in between there, it's going to encompass all types of ways in which people birth. So there's room for moms, dads, and everything, everything, any, everything on the spectrum of birthing. So yeah. That's beautiful. And I'm going to just keep going because one of the things that I love in the way that you're putting all your wisdom together is you say your mission is to revolutionize the ways we give birth in this country. And having talked with you recently about some of your experiences, I can honestly say you are revolutionizing the way people give birth. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it is truly an honor because I know that you talked about when you were getting ready for your first birth, right? It actually put you on a whole discovery, right? Of knowledge to have an empowered birth. Can you explain a little bit about what that was like when you were pregnant and what your feelings were and how you prepared? Well, so, you know, the prospect, your first pregnancy and your first experience of delivery for most of us isn't something that we necessarily look forward to. Um, so there was the, the fear of the unknown. Um, and so one of the things that I do when I'm afraid is I learn as much as possible <laughs> about the thing. And then I strategize my way through to optimize the experience. And, you know, my starting point was this just this 
email that a friend sent me, like she had birthed a couple of times, she'd had a doula. Um, and she just sent me like all these resources, links, you know, a, a visual birth plan, which I'm uh, enamored of. And in picking out each birth choice, like in choosing each choice for my visual birth plan, I learned about everything, you know. I learned why I wanted intermittent monitoring versus con- continuous monitoring. So I just learned about the different things. Um, I researched, you know, ways in which I could optimize the birth process by, you know, eating certain things beforehand, you know, like having my six dates a day, um, you know, the red leaf raspberry tea, um, just really looking for the most natural and most supportive way possible to give birth to our child. You know, my husband deferred to me, right? He didn't, you know, whenever I ask him about these things, he's just like, you knew what you were doing, you researched, and you have to remember that nobody researches like you. I was like, but why? Why don't they? And he said that, and he had never had a moment of worry, you know, which is like a gift and a curse because, you know, there's no like, oh, you did so much. You're so amazing. He's like, he was like, I knew you, you were going to handle it. And, that, and I knew it. I trusted it. And so I wasn't worried at all. I had no concerns. Um, so for me, it was something where I presented fear with just gathering information and really looking at the evidence, right? So, you know, like looking at evidence-based sources, looking at natural birthing-based, you know, just approaches to giving birth and just found, you know, like looking at what minimizes tearing, you know, like just, you know, knowing, learning that you know, there's the perennial massage, but there's also, which may or may not work with your second baby, but, you know, and and then I just learned even recently that, you know, the more you do it, the less likely it is to work, which is kind of interesting. So the more diligent you are, so, you know, there's some happy meet, a a happy place with it, but just doing like, you know, learning that you're giving birth on your side or on all fours would be the thing that would minimize the tearing and not the squatting that all of us natural leaning people would love to do. Right. Like we always move towards like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. Um, you know, like be, you know, I want to squat, but like squatting is so fast. Um, and so precipitous that it often tears you, you know, like you use gravity, but it tears you. So like all the research, all the gathering, all the things that those are the things that like I padded around myself. And I found comfort in, you know, I mean, even in the, you know, like being when I first learned I was pregnant, just like learning about every test and what it meant. And, you know, so that is what comforted me because I had some moments in the pregnancy where it was very early on and we were doing, you know, genetic testing and, you know, like did the chorionic villus sampling and it was inconclusive. And, you know, like, you, so you, you learn early and I'm an older mom. I had my first um, right after I turned 40 and I had my second right after I turned 43. And literally I got, I got married at 39, got pregnant a few m- months later without any assistance, like literally a month later. And then we were older. So there was a concern that there might be something going on. And so when it was inconclusive, that was like the beginning of my research like, you know, like what is, what could go on and everything turned out fine and I ended up having an amniocentesis and everything was great. And the kids are like the, the, the oldest, he's great. But how I comforted myself in this waiting time um, was just researching. Like, so I don't, 
I don't just read websites like, you know, like, oh, let me read this article about this study. I read the study, right? I remember my, you know, like lab reports in high school. So I read the conclusion. I read the, 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 the discussion and the methods and, you know, just really look to see. I look to see what the source of the study is too, like who did it and what, you know, what their bias might be, like why they would put out that particular study. And I try to really look at it from an end, like what if this is not true? What if this is true? Um, and what harm would this do if it weren't true, but I tried it anyway, you know? Great like, questions. So, yeah. so that's, how, that's how I have, you know, gone on this journey. So, so when can it I ask to- you hmm? this? Cause like, I love the visual birth plans too, right? The preferences. And you did all this research, like amazing, right? Especially uh, for a first time, you know, birth, you did a lot of homework. How did your caregiver respond? How did you kind of bridge that and present that information of your wishes and their mm-hmm. practice? So my caregiver great, great OB, you know, like I have a thing where I like my OB to be, um, someone who's given birth before. (laughs) And I know you don't want like the person doing your heart surgeries, like to have a heart attack, but there's something to be said about sometimes, you know, like maybe it's magical thinking, but so my OB was very interesting. Like she was very, had her checklist, very, um, intelligent and thoughtful, but very much like, you know, like checked, the, the urine for protein every time, you know, like, you know, did the blood pressure every time. Now, later on, I'm like, mm, maybe I should have done that. But like, did her own like sort of light ultrasound every time because she had the kind of machine to, to do the, the, the sonogram. And so she was like very diligent. So I remember telling her, oh, and I forgot to mention the other thing that was part of my birth journey well before I ever had a child is um. I had, I knew someone who had three children and she told me about her three different birth experiences and how she did, you know, like hypnosis. So she did like hypno, hypno birthing, um, and how the second, like the second and the third babies were like huge they were over 10 pounds. And she had no, she had a wonderful experience. And I was like, I'm going to do something like that. So then, um, I didn't do hypno birthing, did hypno babies, um, because it was like more radical and up my alley. Right. So so I brought this, I presented this to my OB, like, this is what I'd like, you know, I want a hip lock. I do not want an IV. IVs artificially inflate the size of the baby. Right. And she was like, what? And then I was like, and I don't want a Pitocin injection. I am going to breastfeed after I give birth, no traction on the placenta. Right. Like after I give birth, I want to put the baby right to the nipple and that will help my uterus contract, you know, um, I said that I was, I would be doing hypno babies, you know, I'd be doing this whole hypnosis thing. And she was like, you know, she wasn't, she was respectful, but she was like, they all, we pretty much, in a nutshell, she was like, they all say <laughs> what they're going to do. <laughs> they all say, um, I, I remember when I was speaking to you the other day and I was like, just talking about the whole like medical world, like, you know, like, it's like almost like, it's almost like a prison like they all break eventually like you know they all they all come in with these like plans and then they just don't it just never works out their own way right so you know like so she came to me with she responded to me with the knowledge that she had which is people have these birth plans that don't quite go the way that they want right and um and people are you know you're you're told time and again don't expect it to go the way that you want well mine went the way that I want right? Mine went 
very much the way that I wanted. But I, I knew the things like, you know, labored home, right? As long as possible. So just, you know, like we had these conversations. She told me about the things that worked for her and what didn't work for her. I, I, limit, I wanted a limit of cervical exams until I was ready to push. Um, and then after a certain amount of weeks, I was like, no more cervicals at, in the office. It doesn't tell you anything, right? So it was, I mean, it was kind of weird that I was so steadfast about stuff, having never done it. And here's this OB that's probably done like thousands of words, right? And, you know, like their expertise versus my approach to it. But I also know that, you know what, no one is expert on my body, right? Right. And then I have this power over my own body and I have this will. I have this will that has things go the, not only just not simply go the way that I want them to go, but there's just ability to, I would say, adjust and, you know, strategize like, okay, so like we have have this roadblock, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And, you know, we're going to adjust continuously. So, you know, like I have things in my plan, like, um, uh, dim lights and no music and no students because you know what I don't really love you students but no no thank you you know like free 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 movement you know like I knew that I had to move to get this baby out no IV because I was going to eat whatever I wanted until I didn't want to eat because I knew that my body would be like no more food and you know and it certainly did so just like when I spoke to her um, there was a there was pushback about the pitocin. There was a great deal of concern about the pitocin, but I think also they come from a place of, you know, like a a lot of augmentation in birth. You know, a lot of um, there's the IV fluid and there's all these other things that make pitocin necessary. You know, like you know, like because it's like you're peeling off a scab sometimes, like you know, like or there are inductions and all these other things. You know, so it's that is her realm, you know, like when you're, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And I think that, you know, like when you're an OB, everything's a potential surgery because they're great surgeons. Right. And I felt like she was, she was lovely. I love her. Right. Like I love her because um, she's intelligent and she respects my intelligence and she never infantilized me and she had her own body of knowledge. Right. So, and I'm sure she's never seen anybody like me again, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm special, weird, intense, you know, whatever you want to say. You're amazing. I'm all the things. I love that. Like you even use the words like this was your power, right? And your Mm -hmm. body and you knew your body and your baby better than anyone. And I think that's such an important lesson. I think, as you know, too many people default to give the power to the medical establishment or provider, and you really stood in your power. So tell us more about the actual, like, how did it feel your labor and birth? Like you had all this knowledge. How did it go? So I knew exactly when we conceived. So I counted 40 weeks after, right? I asked my mother when she gave birth. I don't think she even remembered because, you know, like her youngest was like, I don't know, 30, right? Like it was a million years ago. So, and then, so 40 weeks after it was going to be Mother's Day. So I was like, yeah, we have this baby on Mother's Day. And my app said like, um, my app said that Mother's Day, my OB said the next day. And then my baby decided to come the next day after that. So I missed Mother's Day. So um, this is how it went. So the morning of the due date that the OB had given me, so did you feel something like, mm, like a little 
something just felt different. You know, like, you know, maybe it's the quickening or something. Felt Something felt different. Like the cramps or whatever didn't feel like, they felt like they were something, right? And I have a different relationship to my body. Like, you know, people be like, oh, you're super, super strong. I'm not strong. They're like, I always say to people, like, there are pregnancy poops that made me cry. And my husband will tell you. <laughs> I like that. The worst. They were the worst. And um, my husband will tell you, like, I'm the most miserable sick person and I'm the most miserable pregnancy person. So I always tell people, I always tell people, like, I would give pregnancy one star. Do not recommend. I love to give birth. <laughs> I love to give birth. I would give birth like an Olympic sport. I would do it all the time. I'm different. So I would say that I'm weird. I would do it because... I would like adjust and strategize, right? Like, so for me, it's a sport. Like, okay, this time, you know, like be more, like be more physically fit in the third trimester so that you could, you know, like, or preserve your energy so you can flip, you know, like all this other stuff. Like I would, I would keep doing it. So the quickening that morning, something was off. And then, you know, like I went to the bathroom and I think I had like, like my mucus plug had come out or a bloody show. And I remember, you know, tapping my husband that morning and saying, I think something's going on, but you can go to work. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is wrong with you? I was like, mm, you know, I'm fine. You know, it's going to take a while. So you can go. And he was like, nope. So he's with me all day. And so I'm going through, I guess I'm going through this part of, you know, with hypno babies, we, we language. So it's not labor. It's your birthing time. It's not uh, contractions, it's pressure waves, right? And so they're just trying to take away the charge and the edge of it. But you know what? You can, you know, you, you can take the charge. You can possess any word and take the charge out of everything. Just for just conventional speaking, I'm going to just refer to it as labor and contractions. But in my world, they are. It's my birthing time and my pressure waves. So I remember, uh, like, every time I had a contraction, you know, like they didn't, they don't, I don't experience them as painful. I've experienced them as pressure or like there's something in my brain, like, oh, look, your pelvis is opening up, bringing you closer to your baby. So it was like this whole like thing. So I, I don't even know if I did hypno babies correctly. Right. Like it was kind of floundering with my six week training. I was playing the tracks. So maybe it was like a little hypno babies or just me be like, you know, just just intensely focused, but I felt like my body was opening up. It's opening up. It's opening up. Then the next thing that happened was I had asked my hair braider to come to the house that day. And so she braided my hair while I was in labor. Right. Um, and she, yeah, it was something. And I, that was like my tradition, getting my hair braided while I'm in labor. So she, who had had six children, she was like, you're in labor. She's got six children. She's like, you're in labor? And I was like, yeah. I was like, she's like, that's the coldest I've ever seen. And I was just like, yeah, you know, just pressure. I just, you know, like, and my labor was um, like, was like a lot of going to the bathroom. Um, a lot of like, uh, I would get in the shower because I just love the, the warmth of the water. You know, like I napped, you know, I ate, I listened to the tracks. It was very, very relaxed, like very, you know, very chill. And again, everything I felt was me getting closer to my baby, right? So I, I do have a, I do have an interesting relationship with my body where I've spoken to some of my friends who are holistic pra practitioners, like hol holistic 
OBs and holistic MDs, more holistic MDs. And they were like, you have to acknowledge that your relationship is a little different because I like I know which ovary I'm ovulating from every month. Right. Like I know if it's left or if it's right. I can feel it. I know it. So, you know, like being like they were like, you're a little more in tune than um, than you acknowledge or than 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 other people. Not everyone is that in tune. So just like or attuned uh, to their body. So I was just relaxing. Everything was good. I was eating, had a little coconut water. Everything was great. Everything was great. And this is from like six in the morning. Everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. And then up until about mm, 10 or 11, you know, I called my OB. I'm having heartburn, but that's like, you know, that's been the run of the mill. Um, I call my doula. I still can talk. The doula's like, yeah, you're fine, right? <laughs> like, because you know, like you're fine. You know, like you know, we're not we're not rushing to do anything because you have a ways to go. This is your first, so there's you know this. I guess the first is like you know that just the wedge. Because after that, they're like, they're usually like, um, they're like it can go really fast. But the first is like it supposedly goes really slow. Oh, that's what they say, or so they say. So about eleven at night. I um take I take a shower and I go and like created a little pallet by the bathroom door, like some cushion. And I just didn't feel like it didn't feel as comfortable. So then I go into the room to just kind of lie down and just be comfortable. My my husband is there, he's playing the tracks from the hypno babies. I'm listening to them. And my husband, who's been with me all day, just relaxing. And um, for you at our, this orgasmic birth po- podcast, he's been farting all day. Okay. He's been farting all day. <laughs> he's been chilling. He's been farting. And, and, so, and, you know, it's been fine. And I was like, get out of here. Stop farting and turn that, that, that ish off. And I was like, uh, you know, and so I'll go back in the shower again. And again, I'm like using the bathroom and then showering and using the bathroom and then showering. And I had the urge to push, like this intense urge to push. So at that point, you know, I was like, I called it. I was like, it's time for us to go. So this is around 11, right? (laughs) So we're getting out of the house. I'm wearing a, a dress that really could be a shirt. I'm just trying to get out of there. I fall into the car, into the back seat. Like sort of like the Wicked Witch of the West, where like you know her feet are <laughs> out. My husband is grabbing stuff, and he comes to the car. He's like, "You, it looks like you're. I'm trying to kidnap you. Like, what's going on?" So I go into the car, and he, we're at the top of the Bronx, and we have to go to Lenox Hill. Like, we're almost in Westchester. So I'm like, he's going, and I'm like, I have this urge to push. Like, I want this baby out, and um, he's driving, and I'm like. Uh, we hits the highway and there's like a huge accident. Like it's a whole delay. So he gets, uh, goes locally. And I'm like, just take the lights. Like take the lights, like endanger our lives, take the lights. So he goes, stops in Manhattan, stops um, on Lexington because Lennox is on Lexington and picks up our doula. Oh, but before he picks up the doula, I'm on the phone with her and I'm like, ah! and she's like, why are you yelling? And I was like, I don't know why either, you know? And then I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, like, but it was like overwhelming of of emotion. So we pick her up, get to the hospital, goes to park the car. Doula um, helps me walk to the front desk, right? 
You know, I'm walking. I feel like a little bit of a zombie. I don't know if I have enough lotion on my body because I've showered 30 times. And the security guard is like, um, does she want a wheelchair? My jeweler says she's not sick. She doesn't need a tool. <laughs> she doesn't need a wheelchair. <laughs> and so up we go to triage, right? So I go to the front desk and I'm like, I have the urge to push. And they were like, first time mom? And I said, yes. And they were like, they went back to smoking their cigarettes. Like, you're going to be here forever, like for three days. <laughs> like, you know, like, and you know, like you're too calm. So then we go to triage and they check me. And they were like, oh my God, she's nine centimeters. <laughs> and they just start running into walls. Larry Moan Curly, you remember running into walls. Like they can't get the, the bed through the door because they didn't put the hand, no, the the bar down, they're just losing their minds. So we go into the next room. And I remember, I remember my husband was driving. I was like, turn off the radio. Like, you know, I was like, they was very specific. Um, so we get into the room and I was like, turn off that TV. And there are too many people in here. Like, and they were like, something we got to do. Because, you know, for them, it's precipitous. For me, it's been all day. And, you know, they're just things that they want to do. You know, they have their checklist. They want to do all this stuff. So I'm in there. And they're trying to get the baby's heart rate and, you know, they're trying to do whatever they have to do and do the little like intervaginal, the probe or whatever. And I'm like, is the baby okay? So at some point I'm on all fours. This is happening in minutes because I had the baby 26 minutes after I got to the hospital. Okay. Wow. 26 minutes. So I'm on all fours and I was like, I'm going to throw up because, um, and I and don't throw up in pregnancy, but you know, I throw up before I give birth. So I threw up, I was on all fours and I, my water broke. So I was like a double spotted, like, <laughs> like a double spotted hose. And my husband said, everybody was like, oh, and then they cleaned it up, right? <laughs> and then I pushed, pushed and he came up. No tearing. Cause I and- did it on all fours. And there he was. I put him right on my breast. We nursed. My doula somewhere went somewhere and found me a tuna sandwich. I ate it, you know, and my OB, I think she might've like gotten there, like at the butt and like barely caught the baby, like was just like there. And what she said to me, it was like, wow, you got everything you asked for on your birthday. You know, she was like, wow, you did exactly what you said you would do. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't want your epidural, you know, I don't want your sleepy baby. I don't want a fever to spike. I don't want to feel that I have that epidural needle uh, for the rest of my life. I remember when I was a teenager, I met a very young mom who was like years after g- giving birth. She said she st- still felt it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Um, so had the baby. It was great. I felt, oh my like doing, goodness. I felt like doing high kicks after I had the baby, right? Like there was like all the zombies and everybody was screaming. There was no screaming for me. You know, I was like, I was just like, mm. you know, like my contractions, when my contractions were like, I'm mm. not even, I wouldn't even make a sound. I was just like, you know, you can ask my husband. I need him. I need him to do the org- orgasmic birth podcast so he can remember, you know, like. His Definitely. You know, we'd because- love to have him <laughs> at some point. To yeah. share his perspective because yeah. it was different for him. Mm-hmm. So there, there you had the first one. Um, the second one was a little different, and I think it was just to humble me because if I had another baby in twenty six, you know, delivered in twenty six minutes after being in the hospital, I'd be like, "What is everyone talking about? This birth thing being hard, you know? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? They just come out, you know." And 
and as a doula, I know that they don't just come out, right? You know, it's mind over matter. And I have for this specific thing, not for anything else, but for this specific thing, I have this ability to transmute or to experience it as pressure, as um, as like as a, something, a, a joyful anticipation, something like my gift is coming to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it was like pleasure, but it wasn't unpleasant. You know, it was great. Like it was challenging and just ecstatic, like elate, like I was elated. And then, you know, we had our baby and we named him and then our mothers came and saw the baby and our relatives came before COVID. So and then I had a baby, you know, they let me have a baby. Like, how did they do that? So it was a great experience. It was a really great experience. Um, and I, I left that, that I, I left that hospital doing high kicks. I could do squats. I could do a back. I could do gymnastics. I felt great. They asked me about pain. Like, how's your pain? I was like, there's no pain. <laughs> there's no pain. I didn't, you know, I did not want your and acetaminophen or whatever. And I had been saying to you uh, yesterday, you know, my, my husband is my analgesic. His touch was like what comforted me, you know, um, he was just there, you know, like all throughout the day, besides farting, he was like, you know, attending to my needs, <laughs> you know, rubbing me and loving, you know, like just being there, like the, the fact that he's just without being asked to so, available and just stabilizing and just you know just just making my space safe and protecting the space was so great and then having our doula um there she's just you know really also holding the space i feel like the doula holds the space and really like takes care of the birthing person so that any other support can take care of this space, protect the space. There's a lot of things going on. You know, there are a lot of competing interests, you know, like, you know, and he's just like, but I was very good to advocate. Like I was able to advocate for myself. And I say that because I'm sure it was because I was 40. So it was like an older crabby lady. Like I wasn't like, <laughs> if I were like maybe 30 or maybe 20 something, you know, like there's this inclination, I think, especially how we're socialized as women to just want to be pleasing and to acquiesce. And the thing that I learned, especially as a black woman in the medical world is that compliant black women get killed, right? The ones that are agreeing and acquiescing and not questioning, they get murdered. And I learned that also not murdered, but they get, you know, bad things happen to them. I learned that also with cancer patients, right? Like the really, just feisty fighting ones, they have greater survival rates. So the thing that I knew was I had to advocate for myself. And I had been, you know, I was able to develop that from early, you know, like early adulthood until, you know, being 40. So I was like, you know, like when they were trying to do an IV, it was like Heplock, like Heplock. You remember that, right? I don't want your IV. Flush it the saline solution and let's keep it let's go and so they did and i was able to remember my birth plan because i had painstakingly put it together not painstakingly uh, lovingly put it together let's let's be yes. let me be responsible about, about the language lovingly put it together enthusiastically researched it enjoyed all the things that i discovered learned about my favorite websites you know like evidence-based birth is like my bible for birth and my bible for breastfeeding is you know like kelly mom 
Facebook.com. Like yeah. just evidence, 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 right? Like I'm not taking any anecdotal information. I want to know, well, does this pan out? So my, I remembered all the parts of my visual birth plan and uh, it worked out. It did. Now, you're amazing, right? And I do agree. Like you really... W- and, you know, made sure your voice was heard. And that's such an important piece of birth, right? Really being honored in the process. Now, the second time around, did you prepare any different or did you feel you had already kind of done it? So it was just go along. No, I did prepare. The second time around was different. I was older. I had, I weighed more. I was like the first one, no issues or whatever. I always quote unquote failed my uh, gestational diabetes at uh, the, the, the sugar screening. And then they would do it again and everything. So this one, second baby, I failed it again, except that the OB decided that it was just so high. There was no point in doing a three hour test and in, in, in inundating the baby with all that sugar. And me being the person that I am, like, I don't have gestational diabetes. I may have a spike because of X, Y, Z food. And so then, you know, like when they referred me to an endocrinologist and they had me track, you know, like prick my finger and all that other stuff. So, you know, I created a color coded uh, spreadsheet, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I love you, Teresa. You're so amazing with this. (laughs) I created this, like tracking what I ate, what in spikes. You know, you know, like cereal and spaghetti. Nope, nope, nope. Like when it spiked and then would like put like a, a yellow, if it was like above, like it was above range, um, green, if it was well within range and then like red, if it was out of range. And so out of all my readings that I was tracking, you know, like I got out of range like twice when I like it stopped. Me. So I was in the, <laughs> I was like, so I had this whole argument that I was going to present to the endocrinologist and to the um, nutritionist who I was meeting with, I had this whole like spreadsheet and I was like, I don't have gestational diabetes. I'm not owning it. I'm just not, right? Unfortunately, while I was meeting with the nutritionist, I get this phone call from my brothers that my mom had passed away. Oh, I'm so So, sorry. yeah, so it's just like, so I was pregnant with my daughter and everything, like just everything just didn't matter. Like my my uh, spreadsheet, whether I had it or I didn't have it, I didn't care. Like, I just didn't care. I'm t- the, the one anchoring thing that had me, like, after my, losing my mom was the children. But, you know, there was a moment there I was like, what's the point? You know, like, I don't have my mom. But, you know, just continue to be responsible about my eating and walking and stuff. You know, and this, this, this baby was different because my mother did the first bath for my son. And she came all the way from Nigeria. So... It was something for me. So it was like a different approach, but I still did my, I I updated my um, visual birth plan. Now I had more information. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this instead of that. And I realized that I couldn't donate the placenta, the cord, cord, because New York York State doesn't have anything that you can do that. Um, But I would have donated it or whatever. I didn't necessarily want to store it. But um, what was different? Because I'm, so yeah. take me through how labor began and when okay. you moved to your birthplace, what was different there? Um, and was this. your husband farting? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, not this time. You know, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't as flatulent in this one because this one was different. 
Oh, because this, this this was like this is my renegade birth plan. <laughs> this birth plan, I was like, no IV. I was like, you know what? You don't even need a hip lock. Just no IV. You know, <laughs> I graduated to like. Eh. So this was a very interesting experience. So I was due like, mm, I was due like, uh, whatever, like forty weeks in. I was due like sometime in April. And, you know, I'm walking around, you know, looking very spry and cute and just, you know, doing backflips. So, you know, this baby's not ready to come, right? Like there's nothing, there's no quickening. There's no like hunkering down or whatever. So I begin to have this conversation with my OB about an induction, right? And you know me, Deborah, you know me. Induction? Why are you cursing at me? Like, what are you saying? I'm like, no, 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 thank you. And you know, my husband, who's just kind of like neutral, trying to maneuver my, um, maybe my stubbornness versus, um, you know, just being realistic or logical or making these optimal choices. So, you know, at some point, I agree. I agree. We can do an induction if the baby doesn't come out by X, X amount of date. But I was like, I wanted it. Like I, my son was born on the 10th. My, my daughter was born. They're both born in the same month and they were trying to do the induction on the eighth. And I just could not tolerate missing his birthday. And I was like, I'm going to, I want the induction on the 13th. Right. Like, and my doctor was like, she couldn't, she, whatever it was. And I just, I didn't say anything to her. I just looked at her like, I'm not showing up. I'm not coming. I'm not coming for your induction. You know, like, doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but what was very interesting was I, I emailed her, like I have the email still. And I told her that I would go into labor like um, April 30th on Sunday. I said, I was, I'm going to go into labor on Sunday. I don't know why I knew, but I said, that's when I'm going to go into labor. And lo and behold, on Sunday, I go into labor, right? But it's like prodromal labor, I think, because I was in labor from April 30th until May 2nd, right? So that's wow. like- all, but it, again, not painful. Like I'm frantically cleaning the house because I'm like, I'm going to have two children. I'm going to have a newborn. This is that never going to have time. So cleaning, 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 cleaning. And then by like Thursday morning, something was like, it's time. Like something felt really heavy. Um, I don't even remember the at home much other than I was just cleaning and folding and cleaning and folding. That was just like my whole at home. I ended up going to the hospital sooner than I normally would just because it felt like it was time, but there were other things happening there. So get loaded in the car, feeling like this urge to push or something like, like a, like a discomfort, but not pain again, just pressure, you know, like it's time, it's go time. You're opening up. Something's happening, right? Looser stools, all that other stuff, like all this stuff is happening. So um, get in the car and we're headed to the hospital this time, not, reckless were able to take the, the highway and we go over a bump in the highway and I was like the way that it felt like it was just so uncomfortable and I was ready for her to come out I was like I don't care how they get this baby out if they have to cut her out just get get well I didn't even know if it was a girl because I never know the the, the the sex of the child the gender of the child I find out when they're born so um like get this baby just get them out right so I, I that, <laughs> you know I guess that was like my transition it was like get them out right so we get right. to the hospital, I get in there and I'm just like feeling this pressure, you know, like in the, you know, usually back in your rectum, just feeling it, feeling, feeling it. So they, they check me. 
I'm again, I'm super calm or whatever. They check me and I'm eight centimeters, right? So I'm eight centimeters. So, you know, I'm not eight centimeters. I'm, I'm never, I'm never screaming any centimeter, right? So I, we get there and we're in the room. And now this time I'm at the hospital for real, like really hooked on monitors, being attended to by my OB. She has time. She's like, finally got me in her clutches, right? The way that she wants me in her sights. So this, these eight centimeters stayed eight centimeters for almost like for six hours. I was in labor for six hours. And I, I, you know, like I was told by my doula and my, and I think we picked up the doula on the way as well. I was told by my doula and my OB never complain about six hours of labor. But they really, I mean, it wasn't just six hours, but never complain about six hours in the hospital. I was like, this baby needs to come out. Like I was so annoyed, right? Like I was like, because I'm spoiled. I had the 26, 26 minutes. I'm like, why the baby not coming out? Years later, when I do my doula training, I, and especially with like orgasmic birth stuff where, you know, you want to feel safe, unobserved, um, the thing, those things, right? Like I wasn't, like I was in a hospital. So it's all the, all the monitoring, all that stuff. Also somewhere in there going from one to two, subconsciously like frightened me out of you like it was just too much like frightening like are we going to be able to handle it you know i'm cleaning the house i'm preparing i'm so behind you know like all that other stuff and i didn't i wasn't necessarily ready to go to have a second child like not 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 right then and so i feel like that was what stalled it so in my birth plan i have the the the, the visual tiles i wish i had it with me maybe i'll uh i'll, I'll pull up a, uh one of those i have the 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 visual tiles but underneath it all there's these there's writing where you know i'm like i would like someone who would like to support a physiological birth unmedicated birth um i would like you know like a nursing team that wants to do that no pitocin until unless it's absolutely necessary um you know like just a little just a little request that just like were like my highlights and i happen to get keep one one nurse who had never really observed a physiological birth, so was really excited for it, and one who really loved physiological births. So, and who she was like really great, and she was really into it. And so, when I wasn't, I wasn't dilating any further. She recommended nipple stimulation for my husband. So everyone leaves the room, vacates, doula, everybody leaves, and my husband does his nipple stimulation. And you know, when you're in labor, nipple stimulation may not be the thing that you know like don't i'm i'm a i'm a don't touch me after a while right it wasn't particularly fun but my husband was just like i'm getting my baby right he's always here to earn his baby right he's getting his baby he does what he has to do and he fully dilates me right um within minutes or whatever it was he did his work um obi comes back and she checks and um um, and does this maneuver again, I hate being touched. Like I'm like all autonomous, but she does this maneuver. And I think she helps the baby's head descend. And something was like, you know, again, I'm not, I second baby. I'm not as fit. I'm more tired because I've been going through this for three days straight. Right. right. So, so I am tired. Like I had to be uh, good to myself, but you know, I'm tired. Um, she does it. And then, um, I was going to do it on all fours, but I didn't even get there. I was on my side and on my side, then you have people holding your leg. And again, I like to do stuff on my own, but this birth, what had me be dependent on my husband, my doula, the nursing team, you know, like they held my leg up, push, push. She comes out 
And I'm like, for some reason, the first thing I think about when I see her is like the Kraken. Like, what have we done? It's gone from one to two. What have we done? Like, ah, I mean, she, she was beautiful and everything. But I was just like, oh, it's two. And I know that's the thing that was in me. Like, can I do this? Can I mother with the intensity and, and attention and focus? Um, because the way that I research birth is the way that I research parenting, right? Um, and then it's the way that I apply to parenting. That's what happens, I think, when you're an older parent. You're just, you know, you have time. To, you, you know, I've gone clubbing enough. So, you know, this is my clubbing. I read these things. So um, she comes out. She's beautiful. Um, there was a moment between my doula, my husband, and the OB because I didn't, I didn't want that maneuver. And my doula looks at me without wordlessly, just let me know that it's okay. And, you know, like the, the look for my doula was like, it's okay. Or she'll cut you. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> I always say when I first met my OB for the first birth and I am this 39 year old, you know, um, older. And a lot of the risk factors for all the bad things are just simply that you're black. Like that's it. Like, not like you're, this is just like black woman, right? Like now you're at risk for preeclampsia, which doesn't take into account the real reasons, like the real risk factor, right? right? Whatever that is. So I remember when I first met her, I was like, I'm, I was like, she's like sharpening her knife. Like, I'm going to cut you. Like, you know, like this is such a cute little visual birth plan. I'm going to cut you. And she had done one of my good friends, uh, like my, be- my, my best friend from second grade, she was her OB. And she had a C-section, right? She'd had a C-section, but it was planned and it was like for her, you know, necessary. So I was like, the OB had me in her clutches, but she did, she, again, having done all those births, having had her own experience, she's very respectful, was very, um, you know, like almost like a peer-to-peer level. Like she was not, she wasn't talking down to me. She didn't infantilize me. She was just like, she was very respectful and also presented what she believed and got that baby's head, like just that little twist, the baby's head descended. She came out and there I was with my baby. Um, Again, no tears, no tears with this baby. And yeah, so so this second experience is like why I want like five more. Cause then I'm like, okay, be more physically fit. Okay. Make sure that you can flip, flip uh, onto your hands and knees. Maybe try to sleep instead of cleaning the house. If you're in three day prodromal labor, labor, like do this, do that. That's, that's why like something inside of me just wants to adjust it. So the way that I can live that out is um, by being a doula and helping to strategize with other people, have, helping them to, in, um, educate them and helping them create their own optimal births, whatever that looks like for them. So, and that's me, you know, second baby was beautiful. It was great. And, um, yeah, you know, like I, I would do it again and again. I would do it again and again. My husband's done though, you know, your stories are like so powerful and full of so many lessons. So I know that everybody that's listening, I'm sure is taking all different nuggets. And I have to say, I heard, and you kind of said that with the second birth, and we talked about it in the doula workshop, right? That impact of emotions. And as you said, needing to feel safe and private and unobserved. So like so many, so much more was going on for you. But I have to bring you to like your comment at the beginning that, yeah, what do you think would revolutionize birth in the U.S.? Because you have your own experiences and you did a lot of work 
for the births that you had to stay in your power. So what it what do you think would revolutionize birth in the US? You know, and really I, anywhere. Anywhere. I ask this question of you and everyone else that we run into in these doula circles because you know there's all these conversations about black maternal health and these outcomes without really acknowledging that the maternal outcomes in the United States are terrible for all women, like white women, you know, white birthing people. And so they're not, they're not on par with other countries. They're not on par with so other so-called first world nations or even, you know, like even so-called third world, um, you know, third world countries without the same resources. Like if you have an uncomplicated birth in a so-called third world country, you have more of a chance to have like a, a, a great a, decent, a great outcome than here. Now, if you have a complicated birth, this is the place to be, right? Like this is the place where the interventions really are like do what they need to do and they do it quickly. But like, if there's no need for intervention, there's this need to intervene that causes birth to be troublesome. Oh, the, the you know, I'll answer. I, I, I want to go back to my birth because... There were two things that happened um, in the whole six hours that I was there. I felt like I was there too long, but I had the urge to push. So that's just what it was. And second baby betrayed me because they're supposed to come out fast at the second time. And she was like, nope. So two things. One was I had said no IV. And my OB pointedly tells me, you know, like, if you don't have an IV, then you know that if you have to go into the OR, then we're going to have to put you under general anesthesia. We're going to have to put you under. And I was like, that's fine. You know, like, if you have to cut me, I don't want to be awake for that. There's nothing romantic about you, about watching you cut the baby from my guts, right? Like, just give me an alive baby. You know, let me put me to sleep because that'll like, let me be calm about that and make sure that I wake up with a, with a baby, right? Like, don't, don't have me wake up without my baby. Like my baby needs to make it. So that was that one thing. So, you know, I was a bit of a renegade there. And the second thing is the anesthesiologist was not allowed in my room. Like they were not like, you know, like they knew not to come in, but what anesthesiologist asked for permission to come in. And so this is while I'm in the labor process. So he comes in, right? He was, you know, I think he was like, I want to say he was like Russian or something. He's like, what is your plan? What is your plan? You know, like very forcefully, like, I feel like, he, you know, like he was like Nadia Komich's coach. Like, you know, what are you doing here? Like, you know, what is your plan? What is your plan? And I was like, the plan is for me to labor and deliver this baby. Also in the plan is that if I am in need of your your, your services, you are going to calculate how much anesthesia I need based on my weight and whatever information that you have, because, you know, like that, you that is your expertise. And, you know, like, you know, and he, I, I, and, and again, I'm going through this process of contractions and I'm having this conversation with him and, you know, I'm letting him know that that's, that's the plan. Um, and he was like appalled by it, but, you know, like, you're not going to come and put an epidural in me. I'm not interested in it. You know what I'm saying? Like I've, you know, I've broken my hand and reset it myself once, right? Like, you know, like that's how I found out I was pregnant because I had to go get an x-ray and had to pee in a cup, but that's another story. So yes. um, like, you know, like I will do anything in my power not to have anything unnecessary in my body. I believe in medicine. I believe in vaccines. I believe in all the things, whatever it is, I believe in it. And, but I do not believe in extra, 
like unnecessary intervention. So I tell him that it was a little like it was a little upsetting that he was in there, but I also handled him and I handled him, not the doula, not my husband. And I'm just like, this is what I do. This is, you know, like I was like mentioned to him that I remember when I had in my appendectomy when I was a teenager, I wake up on the table. And my brother too, when he had an, uh, he had an appendectomy, he wakes up. So just know that, right? Like, so I have to go under, I'm going to wake up. So just know that. And so he went on his merry way and I continued my process and I had the baby the way that I wanted it. Um, You're fantastic. Such a good advocate for yourself in every way, right? You really did. So I know we're coming like to the end of the time. And I know that people are probably like, oh my goodness, Teresa, like you're a doula and a lactation consultant, right? And people in the New York area might want to find you and people all over the world may want to hear some of your wisdom. How can people reach out and get in touch with you? Okay, so people can find me. My company, my birthing uh, practice is Nena Birth, N-N-E-N-N-A-B-I-R-T-H. So that's nenabirth.com. You can find me at Nena Birth on Instagram, at Nena Birth on Facebook. If you need to, you know, if you're interested, you can give me a call at 646-801-4322. I am available. Oh, you can also email me at nenabirth at gmail.com. Um, and I wanted to, I didn't quite answer your question about, um, revolutionizing birth in the United States. I think people should really let births happen on their own. I'm not, I'm not adverse to hospital births, but all the extra stuff that they do in preparation for, um, an emergency actually precipitates emergencies, creates emergencies and they should do less, you know? They should do the minimum, like the minimal thing at that moment that will make a difference as opposed to doing like too much, like all the IV, all the, you know, you can't handle the pain. You can't do this, all this stuff. So that's one. I think that the hospital approach should really look at becoming less interventionist. And um, the second thing I think is that think is that people who are preparing to give birth really need to do their research. And of course, get up. And if you're not interested, you're not able to, or you don't feel like you can do your research, take childbirth education classes, get a doula, you know, trust your doula. So vet your doula, right? Like, you know, get me as a doula. I, I know my stuff. And when I don't, I research and I ask other doulas and I ask other medical professionals, professionals. Like I have friends who are obese. So I reach out to them, you know, and I help my clients weigh life or death? Is this, you know, like, is this a good approach? So that's what I would say. Do less in hospitals, spend more time waiting and seeing and being prepared and on alert than doing stuff ahead of time, throwing everything and everything. And for people who are going through the process, create your team, make sure that your support in that room is on on the same page and go in there well-versed and trust yourself. Not everybody can be 40 and um, old and, and, and crabby, as I said, and, you know, just I'm going to do what I want to do because it's my body. Not all of us are like that, but, you know, you can be empowered to be like that when you have a team that supports you in that and you have the information that you need because it can be scary in those medical rooms. Yeah. Beautifully said. I couldn't agree with you more. I have to thank you so much for sharing your 
birth stories and your wisdom. It's been truly an honor to listen and to share with everyone else, but also such an honor to be together as doulas in the New York, New Jersey area and to stay connected. So I hope people that are listening, heed your advice, get to good childbirth education. We do have pleasurable birth essentials for anyone that would like them. They're an online class. You can go at your own pace. And I hope some of you are inspired to become doulas to join us. We definitely need more doulas. And like you, we need more black, brown, and indigenous doulas in the United States. We really need to be changing maternity care for everyone to feel nurtured, supported, respected, and having positive births. So thank you so much, Teresa. And thank you for everyone that's joined us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe. Thank you.